This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hi, I'm Soleil Ho, and you're listening to Extra Spicy. Today's guest is very extra, and I only mean that in the best way. Eric Rivera is, in his words, kind of a chef thing. The Seattle-based chef is a culinary chameleon who has seemingly mastered the art of spitballing. He's done so much, cooked 12 course tastings for two in his apartment, cooked 12 course tastings for two in other people's apartments, sold Sazon and other Puerto Rican seasonings online, and started a line of self-published ebooks. He's now working on a new online platform for chefs and cooks, all while trolling NFT shilling chefs on Twitter. He's a busy man. Eric's latest project is a foray into the tech field, a platform that's a mashup of Etsy, Feastly, and incubator programs like La Cocina and Food Lab Detroit. Made for small-scale food entrepreneurs and hobbyists hoping to gain bigger audiences for their work and products, this platform, for now called Beat, will provide a marketplace that's actually easy to use, unlike the hell that is Instagram DMs. Anyone who's tried to order, you know, secret cookies will know what I'm talking about. The company will also help develop recipes, workshop ideas, advertise pop-ups, and help make connections to grocery stores and other distributors. The idea is to free creators from chaotic, ever-shifting social media algorithms and give them a platform that actually suits their unique needs. So of course, this interview is going to cover a lot. It was a pretty freewheeling conversation with lots of strategically deployed F-bombs. And Rivera tells me all about his endeavors, his thoughts on celebrity chef culture, and why he'll probably never open a restaurant ever again. For people who don't know who the hell you are, like, what's your deal? I've been asked that for years, forever now. I'm Eric. <laughs> I'm kind of a chef thing. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, honestly, like I'm, I'm kind of in, in, a, in a weird spot right now where I'm evolving kind of into a whole new place for chef restaurant industry things. So that's kind of what I'm in the process of building right now. I know that sounds super weird uh, and it is, and I'm the right person to bring on weird because I am. So uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So is this a tech thing? Are you a techie now? Sort of. I think I've always kind of been into tech. I grew up in Seattle, so that's a really a good hub for that kind of thing. But I think what has changed me is the pandemic, obviously kind of like left me with a bad taste in my mouth. And now I'm kind of in a spot where, you know, I kind of ascended through everything from working at three Michelin star restaurants to checking everything off and achieving all the goals I wanted to in restaurants and additionally having my own. But the pandemic kind of set me back and said, do I really want to keep doing this kind of thing? Um, do I really want to keep killing myself over kind of reaching goals? And I, I kind of just got to the point where I decided no. And I wanted to see what else was out there for this. So I've been building a startup. I've been kind of reshaping and honing what I want from this industry and how it can work for me and, and helping people along the way too. Okay, well, let's rewind a little bit. What is wrong with the status quo? I know that's a big question. It doesn't seem like it's for a lot of people. And I've worked in this industry for 14, 15 years now. 
and getting to the point where I've seen a lot of people come in in this industry, come out of this industry and have their work treated like it's not transferable, even though it really is. There's a lot of things in this industry that keep people at low wages or make it seem like if they have to ascend to a certain point, that's like winning the lottery. When I look at other industries, especially tech, you can see people that, I mean, frankly, don't really have a lot of skill set, but they're just there and can make (laughs) (laughs) tons of money by just being around and existing. And I don't think that really works in restaurants. You really have to like kind of kill yourself. You really have to just push people out of the way and it's physically demanding and you kind of have to be like the last person standing kind of at the end. And there's even no guarantee at that if you'll make money or be able to call this a career. So I turned 40 this year and I kind of hit a point where I'm like, shit, what am I doing here? The pandemic shut everything down. You know, I kept on going with delivery takeout and all these other things, but what's really in my control and what's out of my control And how shitty is it that I have to kind of keep working and working and working and working when it doesn't seem like it's going to be the result or reward that I even need from it. So I started to think about what that could mean. And I started to say, like, what if I just transferred the ideas of tech companies into restaurants? But not in like a DoorDash way, right? Not in a fucking shitty Uber Eats, DoorDash, fucking Praia. Oh God, kill me. Um, nothing like that. Nothing like that. Mm. So on my side now, I'm, I'm kind of working on building my own site into that startup and doing proof of concept things with it. So that way I can create a creator economy for chefs, cooks, at-home people, or people that just want to get into the industry, sort of, maybe, kind of. And I know that kind of sounds weird, but, you know, there's people out there that have, you know, grandmother's recipes that they just want to make it, you know, they have hot sauces or sauces that they just want to make one off type of thing, all the way to cooks and chefs that kind of want to take it next step in their career. So I kind of want to grab all of those people and go, hey, there's another option that doesn't just involve going on something like a top chef or a challenge cooking competition show or opening a restaurant or working for somebody else for 20 years and never seeing your own kind of success from it. So on my side, it's really, really opening it up and showing them kind of the easy button to get to that success. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, is it like if you make tortillas in like a garage in Oakland, like what is like, what is this thing for? Basically what I'm building right now under a code name Beat is that creator economy for chefs. It's essentially establishing that marketplace on our side and we function with the experts on my site that we're building to give them that fast track to success, whether it's allowing them and help them bring products to market, finding funding or a restaurant or anything really within that realm and possibility, but doing it in a way where we're functioning as a smaller part in their success. Mm. We're helping them navigate through things. We can help them scale quickly without having to have 10 to 15, 25 years experience of this industry. And they can kind of see if their ideas are going to work or not without having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on trying to get in where they fit in. Mm-mm. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm, I'm identifying so many pain points from the like the beginning of the pandemic when so many people were launching kind of at-home cooking businesses. I'm remembering all the times I tried to buy like cake or or I don't know, pupusas on Instagram and just like navigating the nightmare that is Instagram DMs and trying to track down like stuff on Facebook Marketplace and just find, kept, I kept finding like vendors in like New Jersey. I don't live in New Jersey. Yeah, I could see why a service like this would be very necessary. Yeah, I want to provide more of a hands-on approach to helping people out because that's kind of how I've, I've worked in my career. I've helped people launch everything from like a fast food burger place all the way to 
you know, luxury hotels and done all that kind of thing all the way through. It's helping people get into that system. And then essentially when we launch, there's going to be 10 creators that we select. We'll show how they do it. We'll show them, you know, good and bad things they've learned. And then we'll start to reach out to essentially have people show us and invite them and bring them on and start to scale out to different cities and different marketplaces and different markets. And, you know, from there, we'll be able to have a single line into going like, this is food related without having people go, oh, I'm selling shit on Etsy or Facebook marketplace or Instagram or all these other kinds of places where people are like, what am I getting? Am I getting you know, somebody making a sauce or am I getting somebody like selling me clothes and other shit? It's really directed into food. But along with those people that are going to be on the site, it's showing them how they drop into a city, you know, and scheduling pop-ups for them and different places and restaurants and, you know, private places and all these kinds of things. So it really starts to help them expand their ideas on what they could possibly do or want to do. How are you going to ask somebody that's sitting on a good idea to get those things out? And that's kind of like where we come in, we can produce it. And then they can just have an extra few, either hundreds or thousands of dollars coming into them per month. And it really puts it back on us to get the food out, you know, and get the things going for them and go, Hey man, we have a hit here. You know, we have a product that's solid. And then that allows us to be able to scale into something if they wanted, you know, out of their local area into something like talking to a Costco or talking to a larger grocery line, or even having it directly sold through a website that we create and help them get going, you know, but also the other side of somebody that isn't in that position, maybe their food sucks, <laughs> you know, maybe the <laughs> thing that they're selling isn't really that good. And they can start to see it with reviews and, you know, customers email in before they have to sit there and say, well, I need to spend $50,000 in order to get this product out. Mm. But also we can taste it and kind of help them through it and go like, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Like <laughs> this may be like a good family recipe to you, but to everybody else, this actually might kind of suck. Wow. Okay. So you're going to have an in-house critic is what you're saying. Absolutely. And I think it's a, it's a matter of, you know, when we have our experts and our people on our side, myself, you know, I've worked in crazy places and done the things that doesn't necessarily mean that I know what's good or bad, but we'll put together essentially a team of people that say, Hey, listen, this is cool. This is not, I don't like this. I don't like that. Here's where we are. What do you think about these revisions? And it really starts to edit itself out before we put a product out for them. And, and really like the last thing I want to do is embarrass someone, you know, and make <laughs> them feel like they suck. We want to help bring that thing to them feel proud of it and put it out there and go, Hey, this is actually really cool. We all stand behind this. It really is like someone holding your hand all the way through food, which is very hard. And this is speaking from personal experience of launching spices and sauces and all these things and going like, well, so what the fuck do I do next? <laughs> what do I do after that? And who's, who's my audience? And who's all these things? Because it's easy to, to come to somebody and say, what's your business plan? give me your business plan. And you're like, well, fuck, I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> you know, oh, what's your, is this from the USDA and FDA approved? There's, there's all these things. And you're just like, Jesus Christ, kill me. Like, I, I just, it's just good. It's a good fucking spice, man. Just try it, put on whatever you want mm -hmm. rather than going, Hey, you have a cool idea and have a cool thing. And it's a passed down recipe from your entire family for the last four generations. Let me put all these roadblocks up and tell you that you're not good enough to do food. Mm. That's shitty. And I feel like that's really kind of the market I felt like I've been in forever because I'm Puerto Rican and there's a lot of stuff that we make, you know, I trademark copyright, all that shit. Puerto Ricans make good food End of story, you know? So it's a matter of getting that into the limelight for me and doing it in a way that it seems more accessible for people. Mm. I, I Okay, I want to dig into something with you because I think you'd have interesting thoughts here then. Um, 
I feel like, especially when we intersect with sort of non, you know, European like cuisines, uh, there's a sort of interesting thing that happens when a brand becomes a brand. Like, let's say you have, I don't know, like pho, right? And you want to you want to charge like 20 bucks for it because you think it's really great. And you have like really nice videos on your Instagram and really nice photography and all of that. And then you start to be accused of being a gentrifier. Um, you know, and there's this sort of class tension that exists when, when you have a brand or a, a food business that's really polished in a certain way. You know, and some people, right, are looking for authenticity in in a more rough edged kind of way. And I'm sure that there will be some element of that when you talk to people and when you kind of figure out like how to present certain products. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, how do you navigate all of that? I think like in, even in my culture, um, there's haters, you know, there's people that are going to be like, <laughs> we're the six recipes that we all know. And why aren't you doing them? I've been mm. accused of being inauthentic. I've been all these fucking things. And I'm just like, well, then you, you fucking make it. Mm. Do, do your own fucking food, put it on, put it on your own blog, make your own Twitter handle, do your own thing. Like I'm not stopping you, but don't try to stop me. You know, really at the end of the day, if you want to make pho, that can be something that's equitable for all part, call it pho wrench and charge a fuck ton more. And then that'll appease one side of the, you know, community meaning white and everybody else can just be like, nah, I'm cool with my pho being, you know, 12 to $20. You know, it, it sucks that you have to kind of play to that, but I've had to do that with my food. Okay. So what did that look like for you? I was based in Seattle for years. And, you know, when I just opened my restaurant as a Puerto Rican restaurant, nobody came. Mm. I took that shit down and I said, fine, it's fucking auto and we're fine dining. And I started ripping people's heads off with pricing. People would buy it. And I wouldn't have to explain that it was fucking Puerto Rican food. I could just explain it's fine dining. You know, so I'm, I'm, I played the game and I was like, fine, if you don't want to pay for a sit down Puerto Rican thing that I'm doing at 45, then I'll charge a thousand dollars for two people. And the thousand dollars for two people is essentially the same food, but people buy it and it sold out that much more. And I'm like, <laughs> is that really what it takes? Fine. <laughs> you know, it's crazy, but that's, that's part of the marketing strategy of things. It's not to deny anybody of what it is. It's to find the buyers and find what they want to buy with their money. And then going backwards once they have it. And I would sit with people and they're like, what is this food? I've never had this before. And I was like, congratulations, it's Puerto Rican food. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It, it's a kind of a shitty joke, but it's like, that's the reality of it. I'm Puerto Rican. Here's my food. Technically, anything I make is Puerto Rican food. Even those French fries, even that pancake, even, you know what I mean? And it's like this tongue in cheek thing that I've been doing with people forever. And I'm like, listen, man, the second that I put Sassone on anything, it's reverse colonization. I'm fucking <laughs> kicking Christopher Columbus and all of his fucking ancestors out of the way. And I'm being, now I claim this as being Puerto Rican. And that's a weird way to do it, but it's a, it's a constant struggle to get the food that I know really well out into the, the spotlight and without anybody going like, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? I'm expecting when I go to a Puerto Rican restaurant in Chicago that your rice and beans will be $7, mm. Eric. And I'm like, well, no, this shit's in Seattle, homie. This shit's a little bit more expensive. And I hear what you're saying, but I honestly don't need to explain myself when there's a place down the street that sells pasta for $32 and it's a tiny bowl with a nine ounce portion fuck that. Mm. So it's, it's using that a little bit, but working with people on our side that are marketers and advertisers and professionals in that realm. So that way I don't have to cuss at everybody. 
Yeah. I was imagining like you would bring everyone to fuck you school. Yeah. Just like teach them how to say it more efficiently. I think that's a little bit like kind of taking the gloves off a little bit and not falling into the trap of like the appeasement of the standards of how things should be. You know, when people talk about, well, why isn't that bowl of pho $11 like it used to be the way I had it growing up? It's like, well, shit, times change, man. You ever tried to buy a house lately? Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Here it is. Um, Yeah, that, that same logic doesn't apply. And I think that people need to start realizing that and seeing that for what it is. You know, even over the last couple of years, look how much more expensive everything is. Well, there's no guarantees that anything should stay the same price. Mm. Honestly, if that bowl of whatever it is, is still the same price as it was 10 years ago, there's something wrong. And really you should be questioning it. Mm. Tell me more about like what, what would be wrong? I think there's part of people just not realizing it, you know, and they're not realizing the subtle ways that it's happening everywhere else in their lives where things are getting more expensive and things are being reduced, but they're still paying the same price and or more. And so the idea of another culture's food staying the same price without having to change just to appease them is bullshit. Mm -hmm. It's bullshit. And the standards of how something should cost because it's another culture's food is bullshit. Oh yeah. You went on vacation to Mexico and you expect all the tacos to be 75 cents here in San Francisco, New York, Chicago, (laughs) LA. That's impossible. That's impossible. Things cost more. There's more, people that need to get higher wages. There's ingredients that cost more. There's all these different things that don't work that way. You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Soleil Ho, and we're back with Eric Rivera. So, okay, are you ever going to open, like, a conventional restaurant again, or are you are you done with that? I'm done. I, like, I know what it takes to do that myself and open it myself and do, make the dots and dashes happen. One thing I realized about myself over the past couple of years is I have a lot of really cool things, and I know that I can help out a lot of people. So if I'm stuck in prep, And at my restaurant, which I've been for the past few years in my little tunnel vision of making my little menu for 12 courses and things, all these stories that I want to do, that takes me off the grid for like 10 to 14 hours a day. That sucks because I'm only serving six to 12 people a night. That's six to 12 people that get to see what I do. You know what I mean? And so that's, I don't think now with all the things that I know, it's, it's, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. that's not enough. There's more people out there that I can help. There's more people out there that I can essentially feed in different ways. I don't necessarily have to have them come with a dish out of my hands. Um, but I have knowledge and I have things that I can put together teams of people and help other people succeed. So to me, where I'm at in my own mind, in my own head, you know, a restaurant just seems like it's going to slow me down. Mm. So you don't want to be a celebrity chef. I don't, I, I don't. And I, I never wanted to like, I mean, everything about me is very different. It's very weird. 
um, when it comes to like the chef shit, you know, I've, I like big goofy hair and I don't wear chef jackets and, you know, I don't, the chef bro culture bullshit. Like I hate that stuff. I hate fucking patriarchal, like built white supremacy style forward colonizer kitchen vibes. I hate all that kind of shit. I've always hated all that kind of stuff. I've worked within it because I wanted to see what it was and at the highest levels, but I'm like, nah, this is crazy. Like, fuck, kill me. I don't want things to be that way. So it's always been something like, it's cool. Did it (laughs) got the t-shirt? No, thank you. You know, who's to say like somebody in, in New York at a restaurant that has their own supposed farm that has one of the best restaurants in the world, like, are they really doing the best food out there? Fuck no. Fuck no. You know, they're just fooling enough people and telling them with enough funding that their the shit is awesome. It's an emperor with no clothes kind of shit. You know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. there's tons of food out there that I've had that blow their stuff away. And it's off a taco truck. The question that I kept asking myself over and over and over for me personally, where was actually my favorite dining experience ever? It never existed in a restaurant. And the more times that I asked more and more people, meaning my guests, what their favorite dining, after they got done lying to me and saying, Eric, it's your food is the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite dining experience. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> then going like, no, but seriously, like, what was your favorite dining experience? It was never in a restaurant. Never in a restaurant. And I was like, holy shit. So I said, you know what? What does that mean? Like, what is, you know, double rainbow? What does it mean? Where did I need to be? Where did I need to get? And how can I figure that out to replicate those experiences, replicate those things for other people that can give them those memorable things? how do I do that? And that's where a lot of this thing, like the platform and the things that I'm starting to work on now are starting to come to fruition. And I'm, you know, wanting to expand all that and seek investors for the first time in my career, for the first time in my life, asking people for help. That's the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. Mm -hmm. Literally asking people for help. Can you help me? (laughs) It's a little humbling. I mean, it's very humbling to just like go hat in hand. It's kind of doing that thing and going, how can I help people on the other side where it can feel like, their expertise and their work can actually be something that they can get something back and rewarded from rather than being stripped down because that's what happens in restaurants. That's what happens when, you know, the big corporation asks for all your information and before you know it, they scaled it out and made it a software as a service company. And you're sitting there going like, I had that idea too, (laughs) you know, it's, it's crazy. And I basically want to put it back in the workers' hands. I want them to be rewarded for their work. I want them to get the things they need from their jobs. So that way it doesn't feel like their work isn't transferable. That is one of the fucking most crazy things to me that you can see people in this industry and a corporation, like whatever the word tech is, can see like restaurant people and go, well, we don't know how much of that transferable. I'm like, motherfucker, are you crazy? You know how many people in restaurants can come into any tech company and figure your shit out in like 10 minutes? Are you fucking kidding me right now? Like they can do it easily. They don't get enough credit and they don't get that thing. So now it's really like tilting it and going like, no, actually we are the shit. And so it's, it's really tilting it back and going like all the things that you do, the most of the things you do on a daily basis is eat, we're more important than your tech thing. You know, I'll be honest, when I first started working at my essentially desk job at the Chronicle, and after like, you know, a decade of working in restaurants, I was confused. I was like, what do people do all day? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not to say that people don't work hard here, but like, not to the same extent, right? Like, 
not to that same extent of like if, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. Like, no, there's a lot of yeah. leaning. If you if you cleaned at the speed that I clean in the kitchen for 45 minutes, that's an entire person's like physical exertion for an eight hour day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm still going. Yeah. I'm like 10 to 12 hours in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, they're like, where's my standing desk? I was like, what the fuck are you talking to me? <laughs> you mean my past that I stand at the entire day where I'm looking at my laptop and my computer running this restaurant, doing the whole things, talking to guests, doing the thing and running around and going to the dish and finding out and the fucking toilet broke again. And the walk-in is down and all these other things. And I don't call anybody because I've learned how to fix all these problems. Fuck no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your day would be over in the first 10 minutes if you had to see the shit that I've seen, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's not to say like their work is even bad, but I'm like, you have no idea what we're capable of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I like when I was a line cook, I would just fantasize about a job where there were no rats. <laughs> like now I'm here. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, like so people talk about getting emails down to zero every day, and it's the cutest goddamn thing of all time. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so cute that you had like eight emails and you're like, down to zero, my day is done. And I'm like, have you ever seen a full ass ticket rail? <laughs> at 7 30 at night and it just keeps coming and you hear that machine just fucking rattling off more tickets and more tickets and more tickets and then you go home and you wake up in like a sweat and you hear that fucking ticket machine that's the kind of shit i'm talking about that's that's the kind of group proving grounds where i'm from so it's like your email down to zero oh my god i'm so mentally fit to just see that shit down oh you have 80 that's eight tickets that's eight orders yeah, no problem chef uh they're done they're on the pass Chef, they're dying on the pass. Chef, uh, I think we need to refire those three. They're dead on the pass. And, um, you know, it's it's not a big deal. I think that is one thing that IT help desk professionals and line cooks have in common at the very least. Mm-hmm. Like they can find solidarity oh. in that. The, the hell of tickets. Um, okay. My last question, though, because so, I want to let you go. But I want to know just like what what propels you? Like, what is the sort of foundational kind of value or set of values that, that, you know, that inform your work? Um, I think it was never being the cool kid Mm. and then finding things and ways and places that (laughs) see where all the cool kids get all the cool things and going like, how can I get that? (laughs) You know, how can I be a part of that without succumbing to being the cool kid? Right. And that's where a lot of my stuff is that, that figure it out, make it happen mentality. And that's all I'm trying to do with all this kind of stuff is, is go like, I hear that the Holy grail is to get a James Beard award. I hear the Holy grail is to get your own restaurant. I hear the Holy grail is to have your product on shark tank or top chef or all these kinds of things. But those only serve a few I'm building a platform. I'm building a thing that serves many and it's built for many and it's not built for the same five guys in the neighborhood that have all the money in restaurants. That's not who it's for. And so I'm that person for real. You know, I'm that person that struggled to get all the way through where I'm at. And I never had to work extra, extra, extra crazy hard and figure out how to get in those kitchens and how to get in those places and how to position myself to be in those spots uh, and doing the work at the same time, but also getting to the point in my career where I'm like, I don't want other people to have to do that. Mm. I I know that nobody's going to unlock all the single ways that I've did it and they don't have to, they don't, shouldn't have to. So if I build a platform and I get the funding and 
keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing in the same way that I push for restaurants more in the tech world. Holy shit. It's exactly what we were just talking about. So if I applied my <laughs> kitchen work ethic to a tech company, fucking shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's, that's what I'm doing now. So in essence, you're like on a parade float, just handing out grails to the crowd, just like throwing them by the bucket load. Yeah. I was like, oh, you want an NBA championship? Here it is. Oh, you want a fucking Stanley Cup? <laughs> Here it is. You want a James Beard Award? No problem. It's it's filled with chocolate too, by the way. You know, like it's, these are all things that I want to normalize. I don't want people to feel like those are the only things standing in their way of success. You don't have to go on Top Chef. You don't have to go on Gordon Ramsay yells shit at you and tells you you're a piece of garbage and then you fall 20 floors through your own death or something. I don't, you know, that's stupid. That's not a smart path. Do I want Tom Colicchio to tell me, hey, Eric, this is the thing. Fuck that. No, that's not a path. That's a very singular thing for like 10 or 12 people a season to see. Well, there's more than 10 or 12 people that want that type of reality and want that type of reward. That's where I'm from. That's what I'm trying to do. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for this really informative chat like i'm just so i wish that i had a business idea to give to beat because maybe that's a good pivot but thanks so much and thank you for your time thanks again to eric rivera for chatting today to find out more about his latest projects visit ericriveracooks.com today's episode was produced and edited by karen creighton